Hi, I'm Jean Godfrey-June, and this is Megan O'Neill. And we're the beauty editors here at Goop. You're listening to Goop's newest podcast series, The Beauty Closet. We love beauty questions, asking them and answering them. So if you've got a beauty question, you're in the right place. The guy we're talking to today hears beauty questions all day, every day. He's one of the world's top dermatologists. I've known him for I don't know how many years, and he's just so smart and so kind. Mm-hmm. Dr. Robert Analick is who people go to when they just want to look like themselves, but a little fresher, a little less broken out, and whatever it is, he makes you look better, not done. He knows everything about every single laser on Earth. I think his office is also like the number one user of Botox in the world. And he's just very calm and sort of wry and funny. And he always knows the right thing to do. I could talk to him all day. He's like this font of information. We had such a great conversation with him. He really busted a few myths for us about going to the dermatologist, the difference between Botox and fillers, why people look overdone, and what to do about breakouts. We'll get to the whole thing in just a second. First, though, let us tell you about the blow dryer we can't stop talking about around the Goop offices. People are obsessed. A big thank you to our friends at Dyson who are making this podcast possible. We've discovered some really incredible beauty secrets here at the Goop Clean Beauty Shop. And best in class in clean, non-toxic, super effective, and super luxurious skin, body, makeup, and hair products make all the difference. One of our recent favorites is the Dyson Supersonic Hair Dryer. It's something of a miracle of high-tech engineering with bordering on miracle results. We love that it's the fastest drying with a super-powered digital motor and that it measures airflow temperature over 40 times a second. So it protects your hair from extreme heat damage and preserves natural shine. They've done testing and it boosts your shine by 132% which is crazy, and decreases frizz by 61% compared to naturally dried hair. It's a full-on, as-if-you-went-to-the-salon, blow-dry at home in record time. And all different hair types can get the benefits. The Supersonic comes with magnetic attachments that work for curly hair, sensitive scalp, fine hair, kinky hair, you name it. And the brilliant Dyson engineers put the motor in the handle, so it's way easier to use than a regular blow dryer. To learn more about the Dyson Supersonic, go to dyson.com slash beautycloset. So, Megan. Jean. This was such a fascinating conversation. I was thinking about the first time I ever went to a dermatologist. I didn't even have anything done. I just went and watched someone get Botox. It was with Dr. Frederick Brandt who was Dr. Analik's partner, actually. I remember Dr. Brandt did half of the woman's face. Mm -hmm. And he started, and I was so horrified, with her neck. And I was thinking, this woman is sort of 30-something. She doesn't even look like she needs Botox. And then a few seconds, she looked happier on huh. one side, obviously. You know how the corners of some people's mouths turn downwards? Yeah. Like mine do a little. No, they don't. They, they do a little. It's just like how people are made. The muscles of your neck actually pull down the corners of your mouth. Oh. So this woman didn't look plastic. She didn't look frozen. The corners of her mouth just went like eh, the tiniest imperceptible little bit back to the how they'd been maybe five years before. Wow. It, it blew my mind. Yeah, that, that is cool. Them. The first time I went to the dermatologist, I got a mole check or one of the first times as an adult. Mm. And the thing that shocked me was that the mole that was problematic because they removed precancerous cells just they looked did? like. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. I have that this scar on my shoulder. It's like a keloid. From I it. didn't know it was from that. Yeah. It's from that. And the mole they zeroed in on that was the problem mole just looked like a tiny, pretty beauty marker. Beauty, really? Beauty mole. Yeah. Like it like, was like, like my Cindy favorite. Like Crawford on your shoulder. Yeah. But like tinier and like so not wow. a thing looking. And you have darker skin. And like I have darker you, skin. You know, like so the, like, get I, your skin checks, say, people. Didn't didn't Bob Marley die of melanoma? Yeah. On his toe. It was like a tiny dot on his toe. Whoa. So everyone should be getting skin checks. And maybe next time I'll go to Dr. Analyk to get mine. And maybe he can give me a little bit of a laser treatment for some of these dark spots from my breakouts. You do not have dark spots. I do. I do have dark spots. And I like his tip, actually, about loving and using alpha hydroxy acids to help with skin tone. I really do think my skin looks smoother and clearer when I do an alpha hydroxy mask or cleanser. And I'm loving the new Goop Microderm Exfoliator, by the way. And I love that it has glycolic acid. It feels so good. I love the feel of that yeah. product. It's just like, it's like got this marshmallow texture and then you yeah. put it on your face and it's like, there's something so satisfying about yeah. it. It just feels, it's like getting a massage. Yeah. It's very, it's very facial. Anyway. Many facial. I'm so yeah. into it. Let's see what Dr. Analik has to say. 
We're here today with Dr. Robert Analuk, and we want to get right into it. What's the most common thing that people come to your office asking for? That they're like, I, I want to do something. What is that thing? In general? Yeah. They want to look their best. So like, what's that? Line smoothing? Like. Yeah. Well, that can mean a couple different things for different people. But early wrinkles forming and pigmentation appearing on the skin are probably two of the most concerning issues, whether you're coming in at 30 or you're coming in at 60. Okay. Yeah. So, so that so probably those things... is applicable to almost everybody. And I'm speaking, you know, of course, mostly women, but so many men too. Yeah. It's amazing. How many men would you, like a percentage-wise? Yeah. I'd say probably a quarter of my patients. Whoa. Um, and, you know, right now a lot of men are coming in for laser. Laser for? Wrinkles, pigmentation, rejuvenation. They want to look their best too. Very often it's women coming in and then they're, you know, often boyfriends, husbands, people in their family. They see the outcomes and they like that idea. And they yeah. see that it's not a, it doesn't make them look feminine. It wouldn't make them look feminine, just look yeah. better. So uh, it, in terms of Botox, the number of Botox patients who are men is skyrocketing. You know, it yeah. used to oh, really? be 5 or 10%, and now it's easily for our group 20 to 30%. But I think that in general, we're seeing that remarkably. So we're studying that and trying to understand even in greater detail, what men need, what men want, what looks great on men versus women, because the anatomy is different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, fillers are still predominantly women. Women. But, you know, that could change too. Well, Botox and fillers, just sort of dial it back a little, yeah. they're incredibly common. Yes. Um, yet people still confuse <laughs> the two. You know, they'll, uh, yeah. I'll, someone will look, you know, like they've overdone filler or something. Right. And yeah. people will say, oh, they got too much Botox. Yeah, right. people just right. like, they just don't them. know. So many people don't know the difference. Through that? Yeah. Which is amazing. <laughs> Botox and filler. Uh, you know, Botox has been around now for decades. It's nearly two decades, not quite, of FDA approval of use of Botox which is botulinum toxin molecule, for the purpose of cosmetic enhancement. Yeah. Uh, but it's been around a very long time. What this molecule does is it relaxes the muscle so that it can't contract well for about a three- to four-month window. And if it's done beautifully, it can look beautiful. Mm. And no one in the world would know you did anything. You just look fresher or better. If it's done poorly or if people are trying to achieve something that looks unnatural, I think it always looks unattractive. Yeah. And I cringe too. I know that the audience <laughs> does and they say, oh my goodness, who in the world would ever do this? But that's why I cringe because I know people love it and can yeah. look beautiful and feel great. Is well, poorly, sorry. No, go ahead. Is, poor, is doing it poorly, like poor Botox, is it too much or is it the wrong, putting it in the wrong place? The most important thing is putting it in the wrong places. You, if I... You know, we're the largest users of Botox in Manhattan. And if Your I, office. Yeah. Wow. And if we took a small amount, and I wanted to make you look terrible, I could. And <laughs> oh, I could no. take so much Botox <laughs> and use it and make you look amazing. So there are certain things. I mean, I can, I can say, you know, the wrinkles and the furrowing between the eyebrows. Mm -hmm. Nobody needs to make that expression. Nobody's going to look at you and say, really? oh, my goodness, you're not making that angry face. <laughs> Unless someone's so used to be having you angry with them. But what everybody should have is movement in their forehead. Everyone mm -hmm. should raise their eyebrows. So if, I know we're seeing each other and the audience isn't, but we're talking, as we're talking, I'm raising my eyebrows and so are you. Yeah. yeah. If you lose that ability, people look odd. Yeah, totally. It's, it's, it's a looking. stone face. It's that frozen <laughs> it's look. Terrible. And yeah. not only does it look odd, it feels odd. So, you know. I know from patients telling me of bad experiences, and I say, I bet it felt heavy. I bet it was, you know, really uncomfortable. And it yeah. is because you need to raise your eyebrows to, you know, to, to look normal and to and behave normally. But I know we're getting sidetracked, and I wanted to distinguish for you, you know, filler, Botox yeah. and filler. They're completely different. But the reason they get lumped together mm -hmm. and why people sometimes don't know the difference is because we use needles to inject Botox and filler mm -hmm. True. most of the time. That we use things a little creatively sometimes. Yeah. But filler instead is supposed to replace volume uh, that we lose with age. So as we age from our teens, 20s, up to 80s, 90s, one of the big changes is that our natural fat pads uh, in our face, whether it's the lateral cheek and the chin and a variety of areas in the face, that diminishes. And so does the bone support. So a lot of people experience osteoporosis throughout their body, but even the jawbone no longer maintains a beautiful L shape. But if you compare a CAT scan of a young woman versus an older woman, that L shape becomes more linear. 
Huh. So there's less support on the jaw by the ear. And so that allows the skin to slip forward and make the jaw look bigger. Mm. Oh. So we think yeah. about what anatomically is changing and think about what's aging us. And if we address that and restore some of that natural support that you had five or 10 years ago, no one would look at you and think you look artificial. You just look five or 10 years younger and fresh. Yeah. <laughs> and that's wonderful. <laughs> but if you put it in the wrong places, like a massive amount in the mid cheek, yeah. or an erasing of the line entirely from the nose to the corner of the mouth called the nasolabial fold. If you eradicate these things or make too big of a chipmunk cheek, you look like a chipmunk or you look like an animal. It looks bizarre. You yeah, don't want that. Totally. Yeah. I, I know that culturally around the country there's different goals. I think that at least in New York there's more of a tendency to be more conservative. In some mm -hmm. other areas of the country it's there's a desire more to be is more. More. more is more. And I do think unfortunately sometimes – Want, people want that change that's so massive because they feel like, oh, I got my money's worth. Or, yeah, you know, obviously this worked. I got my change. And, uh -huh. But that is completely, I think, the wrong way to do it. And so you cringe the way they look. I cringe when they, when they look so crazy, yeah. too. Heat and cold technologies have <laughs> exploded. <laughs> what kinds of results can you get by heating the skin versus cooling it? Yeah. Yeah, I'm so confused by that. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of like this or that. <laughs> there are a lot of different things. Cooling the skin, the only major advance, and this is a mm -hmm. major advance, is that concept of cryolipolysis or reduction of fat. Mm -hmm. So those procedure, the, the, what is called cool sculpting. Yeah, like um, instead of a tummy tuck or... Right, right. So it's not... Um, it's not equivalent to a tummy tuck mm -hmm. or even to liposuction, but those are surgical procedures with bruising and downtime and swelling and discomfort. Yeah. But cool sculpting can use cold temperature to trigger a reaction in the cells that hold fat, and those cells are called adipocytes, mm -hmm. and a percentage of those cells that hold the fat will break down and go away through a natural process. Forever. Oh. Forever. It's a process called apoptosis, but every cell in our body has the ability to do that but remarkably, the cells that hold fat, the adipocytes, are much more sensitive to cold. And if you huh. cool to a temperature that triggers that reaction in the fat cells, but not cold enough to harm any other surrounding cells, all you're doing is reducing the layer of fat in the area that bothers you. And, that's, and can that be used around the face also, or is it just for like body, love handles, that kind of thing? It is used for, I love it on the lower abdomen, the upper abdomen, the love handle, often the inner thigh. Hmm. There are ways to use it on the lateral thigh. There are ways to use it on the, they call it submental fullness, but that's What's a that? euphemism <laughs> for double chin. Oh. Um, so is that a face? Yes, that's the face you know, mm -hmm. area. So those sorts of cool temperatures to modify the fat layer are out there. They are real. The science is real. It's very impressive. It is not a tummy tuck or a liposuction. I tell all my patients who are thinking about doing it. In fact, I did it in two different people this morning while yeah. I was injecting Botox and filling in another room. Oh my what God. is so nice is that it's a multitasking strategy because people can be treated, be completely comfortable while they're being treated. They can use their iPhones. They can have snacks while they're thinning. Because you it's numb amazing. it? You put numbing it's not, cream? It's not even a painful procedure. Really? A few years ago, before the latest generation of it was available, the lower stomach was uncomfortable. Absolutely. And not the majority, but many people. And I got that feedback, and I knew that. But now with the newer applicator, which has better contact with the skin, it's a slightly colder degree. It's less of an intense grip on the skin surface. It's not, it's not painful. So it's, you're attached to the device on your lower stomach for usually about 45 minutes. And we have many machines in our office because we use this a lot. So I can apply to multiple areas at the same time. So oh. I, another person, one was a man, one was a woman today. Uh -huh. And um, the love handles we can treat at the same time. So that's a 35-minute application, but in one round, both sides are treated. Wow. So, so th this is this is really the most important cold technology in dermatology. Okay. And when There's you're a lot using of... it on the double chin, mm -hmm. when you, you can't really get rid of a double chin another way? You can. You can have liposuction. You can oh. have a neck lift. And then there's also a wonderful injection technology or science of Kybella, mm -hmm. right? Kybella can get rid of fat. This is not a cold or a uh, yeah. heat technology, but it's an injection. The injection procedure is similar to getting an injection of Botox. The difference is it's not a no downtime procedure. Yeah, you, it has serious there's bruising, right? Absolute, it's, a... it's not as much bruising swelling? as much as there is swelling, oh, swelling. and there is tenderness. 
it is amazing that we can use a needle and reduce that fat layer. I mean, uh -huh. people shouldn't lose sight of how amazing Cabela is. <laughs> but I think that the reason – I think there was some sometimes negative feedback when it first went out because people – we're thinking in their mind, oh, this is like getting Botox, which if it's done well, you have it done. Maybe there'll be a bruise here or there, but you can mask that easily and you go right back to your activities. That is not the case with Kybella. Okay. You are reducing that fat layer, but you have to be ready for, I tell my patients that week, you're going to be tender, you're going to be swollen. Not only are you going to know you're tender and swollen, but everyone else is going to know. Yeah. And then the week after that, I tell most of my patients, for the majority of my patients, you'll know you're tender and swollen, but people who don't know you won't know. Your friends will know that your neck looks a little fuller, but you're able to go through this procedure, resume all your activities. As long as you're okay with that week of people seeing you, you can do that, but you have to do it a few times and it does reduce the fat layer. So these are alternatives to surgery, liposuction, these procedures. And there are some heat technologies, things like Sculpture and other non-surgical methods of reducing fat. So just oh, passing parallel with fat. Okay. Sculpture is a laser energy that's a long wavelength laser, which means it can pass deeper into the skin and can deliver heat to the fat layer. There were other and there are other ultrasound and radio frequency devices that are trying to do the same. But by and large, I rely on cool sculpting just because I've been the most impressed by that science. But all the science mm -hmm. is impressive. In terms of heat, otherwise, we use that all the time for laser. That's essentially what many lasers are uh, delivering to the skin. Okay. And what I mean by that is lasers are remarkable because they use a concept, not to get too technical, that's yeah. called selective photothermolysis. Mm hmm and I tell people to think about a beam of light can hit something, bounce back into my eye, and I can see that that's the color red, that's the color blue, that's the orange, that's the light beam bouncing back. Okay. But selective photothermolysis is a process where certain beams of light, instead of bouncing back, they get absorbed okay. by that target. So your shirt is red, but if I used a laser wavelength that's absorbed by red particles, some of that laser energy, instead of bounce, bouncing back, it wouldn't bounce back. Instead, it would be absorbed by your shirt. Yeah. So we can use lasers that are absorbed by hemoglobin in, in blood cells. We can use lasers that are absorbed by pigment particles in the skin, like something called melanin that causes sunspots. We can use lasers that are absorbed by water in the skin that surrounds all of our collagen to stimulate a collagen healing, collagen remodeling process. Oh, And that that's is a very oh, nice. selective and rapid delivery of heat to just that target. And we can essentially vaporize a target without any harm to any surrounding skin because the other surrounding structures don't absorb that beam of light. So huh. it's an extraordinarily ah. selective photo light beam lysis breakup. Mm -hmm. So it's so different than using a scalpel or so different than just using a broad, like a hot needle called electrocautery or mm -hmm. freezing something with a cold spray. It's extraordinarily selective, relying on very selective heat. But yeah. As what a black the... person, yeah. isn't it isn't it very risky? I mean, I know there are lasers for darker skin types, but I just feel I'm under the impression that it hasn't been tested as much on darker skin types and that there is more of a risk. Yeah. The riskiest thing is not seeing a board-certified dermatologist, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to make sure that whoever you go to, look on the American Academy of Dermatology webpage, put in that zip code and make sure they're on there <laughs> uh, because there's a lot of fake you know, uh, yeah. actors out there. Mm -hmm. And that's extremely dangerous. Can you treat black skin? Particularly with a laser. Especially with this. You know, mm -hmm. frankly, with Instagram, a lot of this thing looks like it's so such a casual thing. It is not. And sadly, I see people coming in, whether they have dark skin or lighter skin, with complications. And burns. the vast burns and, you know, white spots and squares and just awful things. And, you know, this can ha there are risks to any procedure. Everyone, I think, should know that and does know that. And it should be done as safe as possible. But basically, 99 out of 100 times, I'll say, what happened? Where were you? It's not at a dermatologist's office. They're at some walk-in spa. Spa, yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of loopholes for these sorts of things at these spas. And spas might say, oh, there's an overseeing physician. Oh, well, what kind of physician? Uh, not a dermatologist. Not a dermatologist. Where are they? <laughs> oh, they're in Honolulu. And you're in New York City. Okay. So, you know, there's ways to get around a lot of this stuff. And it worries me. You know, mm -hmm. no one should sacrifice their health for their beauty, right? Yeah. So. And, I, and their beauty for their beauty. In some cases, it sounds yes. like you can end up with these yeah. complications yeah. that are definitely not beautiful. You know, these are, these are I, I don't say beauty procedures, but medical procedures that make you more beautiful. So that's the first thing. But, yes, lasers absolutely can be used on dark skin. But the way we were describing that process of selective photothermolysis, if you're using some lasers that could interact with pigment, you have to be so careful. Mm -hmm. And there are ways to do that, and we do, but you have to do it, you know, carefully. So, but you're right. Uh, unfortunately, Is that about the setting? It's settings. There's a lot of characteristics of lasers. The wavelength, 
determines a lot of what it's going to be targeting, how rapidly it's delivered to the skin. So yes, I mean, essentially that all falls under the category of settings. But, um, and something like, like Althera is is targeting the the water near your collagen. Is that correct? Or, no. So no. Al- so I, the, I, neck, the one for neck. Yeah. So al- the one for al- therapy <laughs> is a skin tightening procedure. I, I believe it's the only FDA clear device for lifting skin on the mm-hmm. forehead, and we use it on the face and the neck. This is not a laser. Although, oh, I thought it was a laser. I know, everyone does. <laughs> I thought it was You're a heat alone. laser. I'm sorry. I think we've written about these things, but yeah. it's just so hard <laughs> to keep so track. Hard, yeah. Well, it's complicated. Yeah, um, it You know, what happens is that any device that's not an injection, people call lasers. But lasers <laughs> is that very specific process of taking a beam of light and targeting something. Targeting. Yeah. But there are other forms of energy that are on what we call the electromagnetic spectrum. So um. you have, you know, beams of light, which we discussed. And then we have radio frequency. We have ultrasound, which is the case of all therapy. Oh, oh gotcha. Yeah. And so <laughs> it's different. But okay. ultrasound so, is a sound wave. I mean, imagine how safe that is. That is remarkably safe. We're talking about something that's used to image a pregnancy. Mm-hmm. But the difference between using something like all therapy to target tightening versus mm-hmm. uh, ultrasound to image a pregnancy, with ultrasound for imaging, they've developed ways for the ultrasound wave to bounce into the skin, bounce out of the skin, and, and create an image based on what bounces back. With Ultherapy, we're taking ultrasound waves, and these sound waves are focused to a point under the skin at a very specific depth. We can use one and a half millimeters under the skin, or three millimeters, or four and a half millimeters under the skin. And I think it's easy to think about why that creates a pinpoint area of heat. As imagine when you were a kid, if you had a magnifying lens and the sun came through yeah. it, and you could burn a leaf. Mm-hmm. Well, the sun's not visibly burning you, although yeah. it might be causing a sunburn, but it's not causing a you know focal heat where you can actually burn something. Ultrasound waves won't hurt, but if you focus to a point at a high energy, you can actually create a pinpoint of heat under the skin. So the way all therapy is designed, we are essentially putting down cautery or pinpoint heat, mm-hmm. three and four and a half millimeters under the skin, and causing a healing or a remodeling process. This is diffuse, so it's not specific to one target, but instead layering thousands of pinpoints of heat at these depths that allow the surrounding collagen to tighten around it. And that doesn't, the the pigment of your skin doesn't make a difference in that? Almost no. It matters a little bit in that any inflammation on the skin, if you interact with the sun intensely, you have a chance, a greater chance of causing pigmentation because of the combination of inflammation and sun or just your natural tendency. So there is inflammation, but because it's bypassing the surface predominantly, and I don't expect people to walk around looking pink and inflamed for days, the chance of having a pigmentary problem afterwards is nearly zero. So I would feel extremely comfortable having a patient of any skin color coming in and having that procedure done. Gotcha. I feel like the eye area is the first to show age. It is. One of. And it shows... It, 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 it's, it seems like it's the hardest to treat. Is that true? It's really challenging. What can we do to have fresher, more fabulous looking eyes? There's reasons why it's one of the first signs of aging. You know, it's extremely thin skin. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many thousands of times a day do we blink? Right? So <laughs> we're the wear and tear. Except yeah. for the um, Theranos lady. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the lower so eyelids crazy. also get a lot of sun exposure more than the upper. The upper is protected by the eyebrows a little bit more. Oh, true. So there's lots of reasons. So... I, when I speak to experts like you too, we often slip past the discussion of Botox and we already talked about Botox, so I'm glad we did because Botox is one of the most critical things for treating uh, wrinkles around the eyes. All all that wild movement between the eyebrows and the crow's feet area, that, that, that constant folding of the skin is contributing to the thinning of that skin and to the creation of permanent creases and lines. You can use Botox to relax those areas, and you can use Botox to in ways that are considered off-label, not mm-hmm. FDA-studied, but in dermatologists' hands feel very comfortable, to lift the eyebrow, to open up the eyes a little bit more, to go underneath the eye, the lower eyelids mm-hmm. instead of just the crow's feet. Extending under there can relax some of the crinkling that forms from the muscle that's going circling around the eye. So there's lots of ways to do that. Then we often use laser resurfacing around the eyes to improve that skin. In fact, my second patient today, she came in, we numbed the skin, and we did laser resurfacing of the and skin around the called? eyes. what's that called? Wow. Laser well, resurfacing. That's like, what it's called. It's, it does, there's that's not a, a name like a... Well, we use the word Botox because it's the most popular... No, I mean the laser... Form, res- the no, laser I know, but, res- but there's lots of mm-hmm. other you know types. Yeah. And But in laser resurfacing, I think that it, it's, it's a broad category. Okay. But co- popular it. ones are things like the Fraxel lasers. Gotcha. Uh, that's probably gotcha. the most well-known brand. But there's many. And in this case, we used a, a type of profractional laser for her rejuvenation. And is but, that a downtime around the eye like she's that? She's going to look... 
pink for about five days. She did not use she did not she did not undergo my most intense laser resurfacing procedure, uh-huh. which uh, for the eyes. And when I do that, I make sure patients patients always need to understand what the downtime is and what the experience is like. Yeah. Um, but there are laser resurfacing procedures which I'll do even more aggressively, where someone not only looks pink, but they. The, the eyes are uh, swollen and mm. scabby. Like they got punched in the face. Beyond that. They look like they are burn victims. Wow. Not just sunburn victims. And uh-huh. the amazing thing, I'm still in shock and awe of this. <laughs> shock and awe. Which is when they look like burn victims, but they are in zero pain. Yeah. I mean, oh. I'm talking absolutely zero pain. Huh. So I've never been called after performing the most aggressive laser surfacing procedures where people truly look like burn victims and had pain. They just are going through this massive inflammation, and for some reason, it does not cause that. During the procedure, it would be painful if we didn't prepare you properly with the numbing yeah. cream and, and the lidocaine to get you ready. And that's not overwhelming, but we just we do it, of course, to be safe and make you, everyone comfortable. But yeah. afterwards, no. So, yes, you can look wildly inflamed. But most people don't go through that. Most people don't don't want to go through that, and I completely understand why. That's a big, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's a big a procedure. But there are certain people who are really bothered, and they have the ability to have that downtime and do it. Because again, no pain afterwards I mean you can do normal activities at home, but going that's out and about is not home, really going to yeah. be realistic. And that's you know. different than, say, an eye lift. You'd probably have some pain with that, right? Well, you might, hmm. but amazingly, the eyes, for what, even with that, it's, huh. not, it's, not, so it's bad. not so bad. You know what's funny huh. is we have to be careful with the... Uh, when somebody has an aggressive resurfacing procedure and protecting from the external environment in the early days to make sure yeah. there's no infection. And when I do a full face, I actually have someone sometimes go on for a few days of antibiotics. Uh-huh. But as they're leaving the office, we do put an ointment on the skin and we put a surgical mask, not one that we operate with, but one that looks like, you know, Jason from the horror movie. <laughs> oh, and I, I remember a patient in the office who was so embarrassed by the way she looked uh-huh. that she wanted to go out the back elevator. Mm-hmm. And that was totally fine. But... I don't want to say who, but a very famous person happened to be leaving that way at the same time. So when she got out, there was paparazzi waiting. <gasps> oh, that's terrible. Oh, my God. <laughs> but I, we laugh about it because it was, you know, you know, yeah, I mean, you couldn't even see the person. They had a mask on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but all purpose was to avoid that. So anyway, I guess we're, we're getting off. Well, we're here, talking about what can be done the about the eyes. Yeah. The, so primary me- the primary methods I really encourage people to think about is to do some level of resurfacing and to definitely think about um, Botox. And then we did talk about a therapy already. Very often, right across the forehead, we'll, we'll treat that skin to try to firm up the deeper collagen layers under the surface to try oh. to lift the brow itself. Oh, really? Yeah. That's In fact, when that was FDA studied and first cleared, the study that went through first was of the brow. And it makes sense that that was what was studied because they're trying to demonstrate lift. And that's very hard to do in three dimensions. So if you were mm. doing that on the just right. the neck or just the cheek, it's there's a lot of contours there. And it's very hard to make it you know, obvious that you're seeing what you're Thank seeing. You. But on the brow, they could take standardized forward-facing photos and measure the distance from the corners of the eyes to the top of the eyebrow. And it's fairly consistent. And the majority of people had a lift. I think the average was like, we're not talking about a brow lift here, but we're talking yeah. about, uh, on average, about 1.7 millimeters. So look on your ruler and you'll see that it's a little bit, but it's enough that people can call bit. it. And yeah. this is from one time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so that's cool. You know, that's it, amazing. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Let's take a quick break and then we'll get right back to Dr. Analik. Over here at Goop, we're obsessed with beauty products and tools that really, truly work to make you look like you, but better. It's the reason we're so into Dyson Supersonic Hair Dryer, which is something of a feat of engineering. It dries hair super, super fast. It has the fastest digital motor and a special air multiplier technology. There's even intelligent heat control technology that protects hair from extreme heat damage and amps up shine by 132% and decreases frizz by up to 61% compared to naturally dried hair. It leaves curls extra shiny and silky, especially if you use the diffuser attachment. You won't believe how soft it is and how much less frizz you get. There's an amazing smoothing nozzle that our friends who wear their hair straight love, a new wide tooth comb attachment to help shape textured hair, a style concentrator for precision styling, and a new gentle air attachment for sensitive scalps and fine hair. It really works no matter what your hair type, and it feels steady and natural in your hand. They geniusly put a motor in the handle to balance out the weight. It's amazing, and it's changed our lives over here at Goop. To learn more about the Supersonic, go to Dyson.com slash Beauty Closet. Okay, let's get back to our chat with Dr. Analik. 
So someone comes in and they're like, I'm not happy with my eyes. And you come up with a, a, a plan, you know, like, yeah. do you, do you do tr- treatments at the same time? Like, w- would you do, you know, on like the same day, do Ulthera and, and the, the resurfacing or something? That you could do on the same day. Mm-hmm. Botox, I probably wouldn't do if it was particularly aggressive or in exactly the same area that we're actively treating that goes deep. So Ulthera mm. goes pretty deep. So typically we wouldn't do that. Yeah. But I do do most procedures on the same day. So most of my laser resurfacing procedures, where they're not going to be swollen and scabby, yeah. I do all the time on the same day. Hmm. Uh, I can target brown spots that are a huge complaint on that day. I treat blood vessels on that day. My feeling with the lasers is that if you're not targeting the exact same thing, because we were talking about how selective they were, you're not compounding an area with more and more heat. So yeah. if I'm targeting a blood vessel that's bothering somebody, I'm targeting a brown spot that's bothering somebody, I'm targeting the water molecules on the collagen, that he's selective. So we're not – it becomes a remarkably safe thing. And yeah. then if you're not going to be going through a massive swelling process, which most of the time you're not, you can very safely undergo, my feeling, injections, which is what I've been doing for years on you know, thousands of patients. Yeah. And it comes out great. Huh. So you can do all these things on the same day. I feel like acne is similar – to the eye area in that it's something that's very difficult for people to treat. Um, certainly people try with every kind of product regimen and there's very varying levels of how severe it is, of course, but how is it in the German? What can you do for someone with, with acne? Acne is so frustrating. It's so frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> and you're saying that too. That yeah. means there's like, is that It hope? is frustrating. So the reality is that most people are going to have acne. It, surges in most people's teens and 20 years, mm-hmm. at least when you look at a population study of the most affected populations, it's that group. Yeah. But anyone in adulthood can get acne. Lots of adults have acne, though, so many times people, now. Yeah. And people just develop it later in life. And they say, why in the world am I getting this? I never had acne. Well, I'm not surprised by it because I see this on so many people. But many people are if they never had acne. And suddenly, why are they getting it? Because there's so many things that cause acne. Some of it just has to do with how our skin is growing. So, mm-hmm. you know, our pores might get clogged. You know, we might shed, you know, dead skin cells off the surface of our skin. It can get trapped in the pore. We then it causes a process of the oil gland getting blocked up and it can swell and make a cyst and it can get even bigger and more inflamed if that ruptures. If a cyst breaks down and the oil seeps into the surrounding skin, it's not supposed to be there. It gets inflamed like a splinter, right? So that's kind of the process. And then bacteria also can thrive in that area and and make it even more red and inflamed. You know, hormones play a huge role, especially. I always get like sort of like... 30s readers, you know, yes. saying, I've got hormonal acne. And I'm like, yes. isn't all acne hormonal? Like well, when you're 15, of, isn't it your hormones? It, well, it's playing a role, but mm. bacteria is playing a role. The poor behaviors, the pores in our skin, the yeah. behavior of the pores are playing a role, and hormones are absolutely playing a role. Always. Um, I, some more than others at different times. Mm. So, you know, women in their 30s and 40s, so many of them do have acne, especially on their lower face. And that's more associated with hormonal acne, almost in that beard distribution. Mm-hmm. Because we, you know, we have male hormones and female hormones, and, oh, and these things are, are playing a role. And stress is a hormone, too. Like well, it can, is... it can trigger, exactly, cortisol and a hormone response. So absolutely, I believe that stress plays a role. So in... we all have hormonal acne. Like, who <laughs> <stress>? <laughs> well, to different degrees. I mean, everyone now and again is going to see a whitehead or a blackhead. Could you yeah. imagine how I feel walking to my office when I have acne? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Who am I seeing? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> He's yeah, the guy, like, it was good. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just everybody's going to. What do you do possible. now? So, yeah. you know, there's lots of skin, lots of things. And I don't think that people should think of this as a hygiene thing. I think people sometimes get embarrassed like they're not taking care of themselves. Yeah. People are taking care of themselves. But, of course, a good cleanser and good moisturization plays a big role. If the skin is inflamed but stressed, it could break out and react in funny ways. Are there any lasers that, like, target acne? There are lasers that target acne. And there are peels that target acne. But no matter what we choose, we're talking about treatments, not cures. Yeah. Right? So that's really important for people to know. So I would say a successful after, if I saw somebody six months after we started some sort of regimen, would be a reduction in the amount of acne. Yeah. And that's Mm -hmm. a win. There are very powerful medications, like isotretinoin, commonly Mm -hmm. called Accutane, that in two-thirds of people who go on a course of that, and usually people go on a course of things like that for about five or six months, for two-thirds, it's basically a cure. Uh-huh. Which is amazing. Yeah. And I think that medically, you know, there's a lot of things that we look for. Colleagues of mine who are general dermatologists who use this actively, they are constantly having their patients who are on it get blood tests, make sure that everything is fine. Yeah, right. And by and large, it is. And it is amazing, you know, what it can do. 
lot of people use lots of other medical therapies and laser therapies and peel therapies, which we use, and they are helpful, but I've never seen it cured. Yeah, because it's so internal. Yes, there's lots of, exactly. It's, there's a lot of genetic drivers and, and, and just environmental factors. Mm-hmm. So I, over time, it might actually fade, and that push to have so much can fade. So, but otherwise, I wouldn't say that, that I would see somebody just suddenly have a cure. But you, you could imagine if somebody walks in covered in acne and zits and cysts and covered, and then a year later have zero. And that, in those situations, it's most Pretty, often the case that they yeah. went on something like isotretinoin. So, so you're not like, don't eat sugar, or are you? I like think diet does play a role? Diet does play a role. For decades, studies didn't show that. But now there is enough evidence to show that high glycemic foods and sugars sugar. and then also dairy in a small population, it can play a role. So it's worth going off those things and, and, and see. see but I, I think that sometimes it's such a struggle to get off those things entirely. And it also takes about two or three months to see whether a therapy is helpful for acne. It's yeah. not going to change in a week. That it's a big burden for people to say no dairy, no sugar. I couldn't one. do that with my cookies and milk every night. <laughs> <laughs> what about the person who's you know not covered in acne and is like, I'm getting married in a month. Yeah. Like I break out every once in a yeah. while. And I want to be not broken out on my wedding day. Right, right. So that exists. So when people have cysts. They'll often pop into their dermatologist's office. Pop. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> <laughs> they, they go in, they run into their dermatologist's office and get a little injection of a, a droplet of a steroid injection. And that can reduce a cyst much more rapidly. There are certain peels and lasers that I touched on briefly that I will bring out in those scenarios. I like using peels that have salicylic acid and glycolic acid in them. Salicylic acid is excellent for acne because it is drawn to the oil as opposed to running away from it. Oh. Um, oh. Yeah. So it goes down that chute of the pore and helps disrupt what's going on with the oil glands uh, while also exfoliating. And glycolic acid is helpful also. Salicylic acid is a beta hydroxy acid Mm -hmm. and glycolic Mm -hmm. is one of the alpha hydroxy acids. It's great because that also unclogs pores, but it also is really good with exfoliating the pigmentation. Which so, one is that? Salicylic? Glycolic. Oh, glycolic. And that's helpful. Pigmentation, be- like if you've broken After out. Acne. and yeah. Oh, so a lot great. of people get pink or brown or both. But especially when somebody has darker skin, yeah. more often than not, it's brown. And they don't go away. So glycolic it takes so long can help for it to with go that. Away. Glycolic can help with that. That's so, good to know. The new Goop Glow yeah. Peel. It's a once a, once a week treatment. I'm, like, it's I'm sure, super powerful. I'm sure those people Lots have that issue and they use that. They're going to see a benefit with that. Wow. So we'll use a peel. And then we sometimes use... We have a couple different laser technologies that we use for acne. But the one that I use most often, it's the only time I really use an IPL, which stands for intense pulse light. So mm-hmm. technically, an IPL, patients out there probably have had that done or heard of it. An IPL is not a laser. It's a bright light because you know we're one of the largest laser centers in the world, too. Yeah. We have every laser. So I don't typically reach for an IPL. I don't find it superior to anything over a laser, which is so much more specific in that process that we described that's selective photothermolysis. Yeah. Um, but in the case of acne, I do find it helpful for a few points. It can help with a little bit of pink and brown left over from old acne. Mm-hmm. And the intense energy of the IPL also has shown to kill certain bacteria that's driving some of the acne as well. And the laser light. doesn't kill bacteria? Some can. So we're looking at things like that. And actually, there's some studies on the horizon which are really interesting, which I don't think I can jump into. Yeah. But uh, (laughs) maybe we will soon next time we do this. But this sort of IPL that has uh, a suction cup to it as well at the tip pulls oil out of the pore and then flashes that bright light into the skin. They call it technically photonomatic therapy. So you're pulling on the skin oil and then flashing the skin with light. But the branded name for this device is Isolase. There might be others Mm -hmm. out there. So. Very often in that setting where somebody's going to have a wedding very soon, I will often chase after a big cyst with a drop of steroid into the cyst. I'll pass an, uh, an isolase photonematic therapy over the skin and pass a peel over the skin. And frankly, I'd feel comfortable doing that once weekly until the wedding. Hmm. Oh, that's great. That's, this is a question about both sort of in office and at home. Microneedling. Is it is it as great as everybody said? You know, people are just like crazy for it and they're doing it at home. I'm always afraid that it yeah. would be not so good for you. I don't know. Right. Tell it me. seems scary. Like you're rolling needles. I don't think face. it's that great. <laughs> oh, you don't? You don't? Really? <laughs> Tell us. I think there's a lot of hype around mm-hmm. it, which happens in any new you know beauty trend. I have not been convinced that the data shows a lot of good results. But it might be because I'm exposed to so many results of what you get with heat from laser, Uh right? So the idea is that you're creating essentially thousands of micro-injuries in the skin. 
Yeah. And that's what we're doing with certain resurfacing lasers, like the fractional laser, like the perfractional laser, like all these other sort of collagen stimulating lasers that are what we call fractional. Yeah. And fractional laser means that the beam of light that's going to stimulate collagen to improve the skin is hitting the skin in a, we say, pixelated fashion or a dotted fashion. I used like to say a... like newspaper print, but the newspapers almost don't <laughs> exist anymore. But like, you know, pixels on a, on a screen. Yeah. And so we're purposely leaving behind the percentage of untouched skin to allow for rapid healing. It makes it so much safer. I mean, old resurfacing in the 80s and 90s carried substantial risk. They wiped the surface away and You'd up, have to this 25, skin yes, that... up to 25% of the time, your skin could look shiny white or mm -hmm. um, scarred. Mm -hmm. uh, and now the chance of that is should be base, almost zero. So uh, this idea of microneedling is a similar concept. You're putting down these pixelated or dotted micro injuries into the skin. So there might be some low-level benefit to this, but I do think that there's likely a need for some sort of heat stimulation to get a more meaningful change. Yeah. Um, I think that when a facialist does it, you might see benefits partly because you're getting some surface swelling, which can be, I mean, on a low level, which mm -hmm. can be helpful to fill in some little lines and creases and, you know, make the skin make look a little look fresher. glowy, yeah. Glowy, absolutely. I don't, I don't minimize that. I think that if, you know, someone has an event coming up and they have a favorite facialist and the facialist uses it and they're doing it safely, sure. It's not I dangerous, I totally get yeah. that. I get that and, and, you know, there's a lot of great facialists out there. And this is for like a plumping effect and a also plumping effect. since exactly. you're renewing the collagen, like maybe well, some dark spot. Uh, no, see I, I see, I don't think it's doing such a long-lasting change. Okay, so it's plumping is the main benefit. I think that I think you can see that plump and that glow. Hmm. And if you do it aggressively, I mean, if you're seeing blood, make sure you're not doing it anywhere other than in a dermatologist's office. I mean, yeah, if, you're doing, if you're seeing blood, you have risk of infection and risk of complication. Yeah. But I will reach for some microneedling technologies, uh -huh. but ones that creatively deliver heat in the targeted area. So gotcha. there are technologies out there that are considered um, considered fractional radio frequency technologies. And so before ra before needles existed to allow us to deliver radio frequency, when you use a radio frequency technology for tightening or improving the skin, you're broadly affecting the surface skin. But there are now a few devices out there like the Infini, which is the one that I use, and there's a few others that stamp the skin. And the needles can penetrate down to a depth that we want, whether that's one millimeter or two millimeters or three millimeters or four millimeters, giving us access to deeper layers of the skin, like if somebody was getting um, old therapy where you're targeting a deeper layer. Okay. We're basically microneedling the skin, but at the very tip of the needle, there is heat delivered through radio frequency. And that needle is fully insulated, so the surface skin is completely unaffected and it's safe. So you can use this in dark skin, light skin, oh, wow. uh, because you're bypassing the surface. Hmm. And at that depth, that radio frequency heat at the tip of those microneedles, fractionally, will trigger a collagen change and create a long-lasting or a permanent change that will be beneficial to people. And that can be used for rejuvenation. I'll often reach for that when I'm trying to target acne scars that are rolling, where they're deeper into the skin, mm -hmm. because I feel that needle can get deep to that surface and stimulate the collagen from below. Hmm. Is the... Is the facelift ever going away? Is there things that are there still things that plastic surgery is good for and that you recommend? Right. So do you I, think? I, I'm a I'm a dermatologist, and I'm proud to say that I love plastic surgery. And <laughs> I think there's amazing plastic surgeons out there, and I love the work that they do when it's needed. Mm -hmm. But it's amazing how rapid this field has changed and changes. You know, we have 20 clinical trials going on in our clinical trials unit right now. At, so, in your office. Yes. So wow. who knows what's going to happen, you know, next year. But I think the way people should think about that is, you know, 20 years ago, you basically had very few people bold enough to think about using Botox for mm -hmm. the skin, like people who we've known and adored <laughs> in the past. <laughs> yeah. We can even say, you know, Dr. Brandt Dr. was Brandt. amazing. Oh, he was I mean, incredible. like an incredible person and such a genius and such an incredible scientist who we lost he him four and a half years ago. Uh, sadly, but, but he was a, such a brilliant guy. And he said, wow, you can use this medication to improve a cosmetic appearance. Because before the molecule that is Botox was used for spasms of the eye muscles, eye muscles or yeah. muscle problems in the body, muscular dystrophy to relax muscles for more medical issues. Migraines. Not, 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 not not not, well, migraines were much more recent. That's, oh, really? That was after all this, which is amazing. Um. So in, in any case, I'm getting sidetracked <laughs> on um, what we were talking about. On Dr. Brad. We were talking about whether um, there's whether the, there's ever you see a day when there's going to be that we're not going to so need a facelift. I, my, my point was no, what I was trying to get at face. is that 20 years ago you could reach for a facelift and improve your cosmetic appearance. But today if you're going to optimize your cosmetic appearance and look natural, you have really four broad approaches. You have plastic surgery when it's needed. Mm -hmm. You have Botox 
or its category. You have um, fillers and its mm -hmm. whole broad category. And then you have lasers or what we call energy-based technologies because not everything is a laser anymore. Yeah. So if you use those four categories optimally when needed, you can look absolutely your best and look completely natural. And that's including plastic surgery or Absolutely. Because there are points, you know, when I walk into a room and I see someone's neck is on their knees, you know, it is time for surgery. I cannot put Botox <laughs> in that neck band off label uh -huh. and lift that neck skin. I can't use all therapy and get that, you know, millimeter diffuse lift and make it look better. They need yes. to go get surgery if they want to make that look better. Of course, some people don't want that. That's fine. But it's a balance of all these things. And 20 years ago, people might say, okay, when I'm 50, 60, and 70, I'm going to get a facelift. But by the time they get their second, you're starting to look pulled. Mm -hmm. you know, that skin is just lifted back and that's it. But you need filler to give that natural contour, that fat pad that we should have, which creates you know, more of a rejuvenated face. Yeah. And again, like I said, if it's not chipmunked or yeah. you know, knocking out you know, a full crease between your nose and your lip that you need or making your lips massive, you're going to look beautiful. And no facelift is going to get rid of the wrinkles and creases between your brow and your crow's feet because you're blinking and moving and expressing yourself. And you should maintain all those natural expressions, but you need Botox to address those creases that are a problem. Yeah. And then no facelift is going to get rid of a sunspot or a blood vessel or mm -hmm. the collagen weakening. You need to use these technologies to stimulate and enhance and rejuvenate the skin. So it's, it's a combination. It's absolutely a combination. And it is true. I think people get fewer facelifts. Uh-huh. You don't need that. That's not your only go-to. sounds so intense. It is. But when it's done well and safely by extraordinarily talented surgeons, it matches up with everything else that you do. And I'll lastly say, you know, people think, oh, well, it's going to be one or the other. Or if I get one, I'll never need the other. It's not the case. If you get filler, you still might need facelift down the road. You get yeah. a facelift, you're still going to need filler or Botox okay. down the road. It all works together. The thing you said about walking into a room and seeing the person's neck, being a dermatologist, is that something like, you know, is you're your out to dinner or you're people watching? <laughs> yeah. You know, are you always like, oh, that person would look better with a little this or that? Like, I've is always that hard? wondered that, too. Like, <laughs> just constantly I can't turn discerning. my thought process off. So I <laughs> so see good. things that could be corrected, but in no way would I say something. Of course. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Um, but you can't turn it off. No, I, I'm seeing that all the time. Yeah. And, you know, often do, I do want to say something, but I, I, I can't down. defend. Yeah. If somebody asked me, of course, I'd say. Yeah. But I do feel that openness, and I think all dermatologists should and all plastic surgeons should when we're cosmetic specialists in this field, be able to openly speak with somebody when they come to the office. And if they are bothered by this, you know, wrinkle on their forehead, but they have this huge sunspot on their right cheek that everyone sees, yeah. we should talk about that. Or the neck down to the floor. Listen. You know, we can do these things. It can You can look beautiful. <laughs> but I would talk about the possibility of surgery, you know, to yeah. improve the overall um, cosmetic outcome. So is your is your perception of beauty different, do you think, than, than other people's? Definitely. Know? Well, I say that because of what we were talking about earlier. More is not always better. Right. You know, these sorts of extreme changes and bizarre looks, I can never endorse that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's an art form as much as a science. And so you have to appreciate... I know, a good natural outcome. I'm glad to say I do feel that in New York City, people want a more natural look, although I still shiver sometimes when I see the craziness when I walk up and do down. Do you have to say no? Of course. Like, of course. The big reason I do that is because if I do something just because somebody wants it, like a massive cheek or huge lips that don't match their face, and then someone goes somewhere and says, don't I look amazing? Dr. Analyk did right. this. Right. That's like <laughs> the worst. And, you know, ethically, I'm bound, you know, I, I do not need to do a cosmetic procedure for somebody, but as a as a as an actual doc, with an MD, a doctor, I am ethically bound to make sure somebody has medical care that they need, and I will always jump on that. If I I've had patients come in and they ask for something, and I say we should check that, and it's a melanoma. Wow, it's terrifying. Yeah, but in those situations, of course, I'm going to do everything possible to make sure that that is addressed mm -hmm. and get care immediately. Yeah. But if somebody comes in and says that I want to look like I have a chipmunk cheek, I'm not going to do that. Is that awkward to say no? I'll tell them I just don't agree with it. And then usually what happens, it's usually not an awkward thing. What happens is then I give my opinion and I explain why I think that I'm right and I, and I encourage them to try it the way I feel will look better. And they'll think that – I think they understand my perspective after having the conversation and we'll try it. And yeah. that's, that's what we end up doing. But if they really feel that persistence and they want to look artificial, they'll probably find someone somewhere else. And someone will do it. Yeah. It's probably somebody used to work retail at The Gap last month, and now they're <laughs> pretending to be a dermatologist. So be careful out there. Gotta but be I love careful. The Gap. I'm not trying to – that's what we use for my kids <laughs> and me. But do you try all these things? Not everything, obviously, but do you – On myself, on yeah, family, on people that okay. I care for, of course. And uh, you know, I wouldn't do anything that I didn't think was safe. 
uh, this needs to be safe. Yeah. Well, I was in your office yesterday, and I left feeling very safe and you look very great. good. Very good. Yeah. So <laughs> you looked great before. <laughs> you did. Seriously, oh my God. we so enjoyed having you. I loved being um, here. We could ask you questions literally yeah, for ten so more hours. Well, we'll do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks Thank for you. Me. Truly, we could have just kept asking him questions like forever. I thought it was a funny point he made about people wanting obvious results, mm-hmm. like overfilled lips or cheeks or a frozen forehead, so they felt like they were getting their money's worth. Yeah, that is pretty crazy. But I guess to each her own, whatever what everybody or thinks, his. to each his own. Yeah, <laughs> what everybody thinks looks good is definitely not the same. It's definitely not what I want to look like, but if that's what you need to do to feel great, you know. Although, I have to say when I'm talking to someone who looks totally overdone or frozen, it's distracting. And a part of me is like, oh, why did you do that, you know? On my obsession, Love Island, some of these 20-year-old girls who are so beautiful to begin with, like gorgeous. And they've clearly overdone the dermatology and plastic surgery already, and to me they look crazy. And I imagine nobody on the show would go for them. You know, I kind of thought these guys are not going to go for them. And some of the guys on the show are actually like, I love her. They're all English. I love her. And she's got the fake boobs and fake lips. And she's just gorgeous. (laughs) Do they sound Um, like that, really? Oh, my God. It's just for the language that you have to listen to. Anyway, I just, I wonder where we're going as a human race. (laughs) I know. I I don't know. Maybe... You just keep going when you start with that, or maybe you keep going until you're done and over it, and then you go in the total opposite direction and you want to look totally natural. I sort of think it's like when you bleach your hair, or like when like I bleach you, my yeah, hair. I remember. It's so extreme that after you're just like, oh, I never want to bleach my hair again. I just want my natural, boring, whatever hair, you know? I know some of the craze for full Brazilians using uh-huh. laser hair removal has ended up in people regretting and you can't grow it back. True. I guess whatever you do, you've really got to think about it because yeah. there are, you know, it does permanent things sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Permanent. Think about it and go to someone like Dr. Anna. Like if you don't want obvious results, you might regret. Someone who does this stuff all day, every day. That's who you want to see. The people who you think do nothing, the people that are just naturally aging gracefully, Dr. Analyk. The fat freezing was pretty surprising, right? I have seen people get results with fat freezing. Stomach, love handles, knees, double chin, it really makes a difference. You do have to go to a good person, though. I know someone who ended up with a dent in the side of her stomach where the fat Uh -uh. freezing had ended. And, like, you know, it took a while to fix it with more fat freezing, which is... Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah, with any dermatologist or even Medi Spa or salon or, you know, you've got to go to someone with a ton of experience. And for something like this, I think you should always go to a dermatologist or even a plastic surgeon, like a full-on actual MD. And even still, you have to go into it knowing that there's always risk. I mean, with anything, you want to do it once and do it right. And when you're talking about your body or your face, you want to go to the most experienced person. This is not the place to economize. Yeah. Economize with your beauty products, with your exercise, with your massages or whatnot, but not the dermatology or plastic surgery. Yeah, so true. And it is possible to economize on beauty products and clean beauty products. People always think clean beauty has to be expensive, and it's not true. There's this brand that they sell at drugstores called a Sutra, and they just Mm. make the prettiest body butters and pain relief oils, and they have this hair clay that I love that just makes my curls look, like, so great. Yeah. Curls do look great. And and this other brand, actually, Crayol Essence, also at drugstores, they make a castor oil. Again, like, instant, perfect hair day. Oh, so good. Yeah. My favorite budget, budget beauty product is actually one of my favorite beauty products, period. You know it. Skin Food from Oleda. Oh, yeah. I, I honestly, I discovered it like when my kids were little because it's just super moisturizing and doesn't have any toxins. And it's, it, I think it's over 90 years old at this point. God, really? But I swear to God, I, I use it for any sort of moisturizing need and it smells amazing. But if you put it on your face and you wait like, you know, and not in the dead of summer, probably, yeah. you know, it's, it's a definitely a thick moisturizer. It's sort of... But you put it on your face, wait a couple of minutes, and you'll be like, it kind of looks like I put on makeup, even though I didn't. Like, it really makes me actually look better. I totally you, believe you. And if you put it on on a plane, everyone will be like, what is that smell? You smell so good. How can I get that? Oh, my and God. And it comes in the best pack. It's my favorite. Oh, I love it. The packaging is good. Okay, so we've already sort of started with the beauty questions. So let's get started on some listener beauty questions. For sure. If you've got a beauty question you want us to answer, just send it over to Goop on Instagram or Facebook and we'll answer it. 
Okay, so let's get to today's question. This is from Elena. Are there any brands that make clean hair color? Is bleach or hair color more toxic? Okay, Elena, this is a big topic. And hair color in general is one of the most toxic beauty products there is. There, there are people that, you know, the allergic reactions can can be really life-threatening. And weirdly, that tip that they give you on the, every single box of how you're supposed to do a patch test, every time you do one of those patch tests, you're getting closer to the day when you're going to be allergic. So yeah, the even the, the patch test that they tell you to to do can actually sensitize you more. And oh. so that <laughs> that's kind of, but here's, there's a couple things. Bleach versus regular hair color. Bleach, if you put it on your skin, definitely will hurt your skin. However, it is not intrinsically toxic to you in the way that the ingredients in darker hair color are. So in darker hair color, anything from, from light brown on down to black, there's something called PPD, and I'm going to mispronounce how what it actually it's it's how it's actually just look for PPD and it's a really bad for you chemical. So people who are just getting highlights, it's not you know it's not usually touching your scalp even. Um, that's not so dangerous for you actually. Certainly com- compared to dark hair color, it's 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 much less of a problem. And dark hair color really is an issue. And there have been some advances in it. There's a company called Hairprint that will send you a kit. And it's not it's not totally easy to use, but it has really great results. It's you have to you have to dye your hair sort of twice. Hmm. But that stuff is so non-toxic that uh, the person who introduced it to me actually ate some of it oh while my God. I was out there. He was the like, you can actually eat it. Like it's not, <laughs> it was very convincing. And the the one that I use the most often is from a famous hair colorist from France called Christophe Robin. He's an amazing colorist and he came up with this at-home temporary hair coloring. I use it for my roots. So I'll get my hair colored. I have brown hair. I'll get my hair colored like maybe once a year. And then I just do the roots because also just the way your hair looks, if you're getting it recolored over and over all the way from the roots to the tips, you're bleaching it each time a little. That's how most of them work. They bleach a little and then the color comes in. And so you can end up over the years, you're doing this to your hair over and over and over, you're going to end up with very damaged hair that looks mm. flat and dull and, you know, old. So better just to do it at the roots. If you can do just your roots and that works for you, which it does for me, it's a lot easier on your hair, not to mention your health. And Christopher Mann worked on this this formula for years and it is like, I mean, I did it the other day. I do it, I'd say, every. it's like every seven shampoos, so I probably do it every two weeks. And it... It doesn't have any, like, bad for you chemicals in it, so it doesn't smell bad. So Whoa. it's like putting a hair mask on. Like, I, like, do my nails while yeah, while I, you know, yeah. I, I do something else. And you literally just, like, put it on your roots, wait 40 minutes, which is longer than, you know, right. your, your typical out-of-the-box hair color um, is usually, like, 10. But you wait 40 minutes, you wash it out, and it's perfect. Like, wow. I, I, I it. it I can't recommend like it more highly. It, it was game changing for me because I, I was really, it was one of those things where, you know, I don't want to, I hate my roots. I, yeah. I, and you, and I, the more that I started writing about what was in hair color and how really, truly bad for you it is. You were like, I can't. But is PPD in every single dark dye? It, dark hair dye? Yeah. Even like a lot. Brown, and then, black. Brown, black, red has it. I mean, it's it's very common. And there are companies are starting to, you know, even big companies are starting to notice that and trying to come up with with safer alternatives. And I feel like we're getting there. I feel like it's getting close. But right now, like if if you have any doubts about it at all and you want the most glamorous hair coloring experience, because the Christophe Arbin is like, it's a beautiful package. He's yeah. French. Like you can't go wrong. Um, <laughs> and what's great is you have a you have a bottle that you use over and over. It's not like a chemical reaction like most hair colors. So, you know, most oh, you hair colors, like... you can just use once and then you throw it away. But Christophe, you just take out your bottle, do it, put it back, you're done. So, yeah, I I feel like this category is going to get a lot better for us. I feel That's like, the, you know, the whole, the whole industry knows 
that it isn't where it should be. And the yeah. other thing to know about uh, a lot of people use henna, black henna, you have to really be careful of. There's some pretty nasty chemicals in there. I that, didn't know that. There can be a lot of minerals that aren't particularly good for you. It depends on the brand. You know, it's just hair color is a rough one. So Elena, um, <laughs> I certainly, I, I wouldn't worry too much about highlights. And I'd talk, I'd talk to your stylist about whether there's PPD in, in your, your hair color. Because until people start asking, it's probably going to be tougher to change. Yeah. Thanks again for joining us on The Beauty Closet. You can learn more about our new podcast series at goop.com slash podcast. We hope you'll come back next Wednesday for our next chat. And in the meantime, just tap subscribe to keep up with new episodes. If you're liking what you're hearing, please rate and review the podcast and share it with a friend. Talk soon.